Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects, building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the internet. We are here with Ethan Fry. Ethan Fry is the lead developer of Cosmosm, the guy that brought you the ultimate smart contracting framework. Thanks for coming. We're here at the Hack Atom. Yeah, yeah in Korea. This is awesome. Me, Seoul, first time in Seoul. We're going to talk about Cosmosm and we're going to follow up on our last conversation. We just gave like a high level overview of T grade as well as how Cosmosm works. But we want to follow up on the upgrades, updates that you guys have had. Definitely. Um, including the auto compounder, but any, you know, level two type upgrades to the entire UX for developers. Right on. I'd love to. Okay, let's do it. Let's talk about the auto compounder. That's interesting. First. All right, cool. So um, the idea of the auto compounder is basically that if you have tokens, you get a staking reward. And if you reinvest it, it kind of compounds it. And you know that once you're getting 80, 90% staking rewards a year, APR, auto compounding is really beneficial. Mm -hmm. It can go from like 80% to 160%. You can almost double it. If you do every day, you take your rewards every day and you restake them and restake them, it's almost double you'd get for just staking rewards over a year than just sitting on it for a year later and pulling rewards after a year. So you can almost double your returns by doing it every day. Mm -hmm. That's kind of annoying, right? So if you have to... Um, if you're holding your tokens on a ledger and every day you have to log in the account and restake it, it's yeah. kind of annoying you sign that ledger. It is. And then you have like four chains you're staking on. And all those chains you go every day and restake it or yeah. every two or three days to do it, to get your rewards. That's annoying. So auto compounder is basically a contract that you stick your tokens on and many people can stick the tokens on it and uh, they'll go to the validator and once a day it will just auto compound it. It has a command to, auto, anyone can auto compound it, which says pull all rewards out, reinvest them and then update everyone's balance multiplier. Um, and then uh, you can then reward, pull out your rewards when your time, yours. Um, and so we just do it for you, everyone. UX level question. Yeah. Is this a contract that is deployed on every single layer one that wants this feature? And is there some sort of unified interface that someone can go to to just um, auto compound in every single one of their uh, Cosmos apps? Like if I wanted to um, do restaking on... Yeah. Secret and Osmo and whatever, you know, is there like a single yeah. interface that I could use? The Auto Compounder is a project I'm doing not as Confio or as Cosmosm, but Wind, which is this, um, another project I've launched. <laughs> it's kind of a side project or WYND. WYND, WindDAO.com. Um, so, yeah, basically that's currently running as just a DAO on Juno with nothing connected to it. It's a smart contract DAO. Okay. It doesn't have a DeFi aspect yet. It's just, uh, we've done this airdrop of tokens. We're saying with DAO now, and it's governance. It starts with governance. And this would be a first uh, product it would have that um, basically the governance would do like the, um, we'd have a staking auto compounding contract on Juno and the wind governance would just pick the, pick the validator set for it. They would decide which validators are um, there using like the curve uh, gauge thing. So everyone puts their stake where they want to do. You know how Curve picks out the pools to incentivize? Can you elaborate? Yeah, so Curve, um, uh, the protocol on Ethereum, they incentivize pools by basically gauging. It's a way of voting that everyone, you don't have to vote every week for this. But mm -hmm. Everyone just says, I want this pool, this pool, this pool. And mm -hmm. we say everyone can throw their, their votes as a DAO on the different validators. And once you've um, selected these validators, uh, it will just take the top five of that list and proportionally give those the ranking mm -hmm. um, as they want to. And every time that we restake it, we will restake to that validator set and that thing. And so when we were Roth Ward, you can rebalance it in order to get that new ratio of, um, of it. So okay. you can vote for one validator and that vote will stay in that validator week after week after week after week until you change it and then go somewhere else. And so it's basically a long-term voting and just uh, it's a continuous voting 
uh, away. What you just described, is that convex? It's basically how the curve voting gauges does. It's okay. the gauges they use for the um, picking which pools I want to do. So, Inspired by that. So it's a little different because we're not doing pools. We're doing, we pick the validators from it. The same idea. We're just taking the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the governance would be on Juno, but the audit compound would be one on Juno, one on Osmosis, for example. Um, any other smart contracting, um, a Cosm, Cosmwasm yep. uh, platform, we can exploit there. And it will just basically have this uh, Juno contract once a week send a message to set, change the validator set it belongs to it. And otherwise, it's completely autonomous. It will be staking, unstaking there. And we have a UI that can connect to all of them. If okay, got it, right. So yeah. the single unified UI that someone could go to and then it's just automatic. You and just it- view your rewards on these things, what you have liquid and what you have is auto compounding and they can pull out. As long as those L1s have opted in and run the smart contract on them? Yes. So if basically they are permissionless um, Cosmosm, we can launch it on them um, with IBC enabled. So they must mm-hmm. be IBC enabled Cosmosm. Yep. Um, and uh, from there, you need permissionlessly or osmosis. You have to permissionly ask them permission to do this. Okay. And they just like fork wind or something to, to um, plug it we in? We would or deploy is... this stuff and we, it's just a smart contract, right? So we just deploy a smart contract, no change their their code base. Oh, got it. Okay, so you have to pass through like Osmosis governance to- Yeah, to the other one's totally permissionless. So we can add on Stargaze and Juno on, um, and Secret, I think once they upgrade to it, we can do it. Osmosis if they pass in governance mm-hmm. and anything else people want us to uh, okay. interested in doing it. And when you say when Secret upgrades to it- um, They mean... are working, they, had, they launched a long time ago with 010 and they've actually forked it heavily because they actually have a very unique use case. They're running in an enclave. Right. They can't run their whole stack because they're running in this like seek secure enclave here with all encrypted input and outputs. They don't even see the inputs and outputs or state of the contract. So it's done in some crazy cryptography way. Okay. It's pretty impressive, um, but also means it's very hard for them to upgrade. So they're now working upgrading to the 1.0 Cosmosm yep. in the process of doing that one on some test nets. Um, when they have that, that allows IBC enabled contracts. That allows us to write a contract so the governance contract in Juno can talk directly to the staking contract on, uh, on Secret or on Osmosis or on Stargaze without having like, not using its own protocol. Basically, we have our own protocol for governance control. Okay. So we can build that out and just basically allow the command control in Juno on that DAO, the DAO then control different apps on different projects. Got it. So how is this different from AuthZ? Um, AuthZ is depending on a client having access to it, they can do something on your behalf. Um, mm. And so you could kind of, um, it would kind of run your account. You can say what you allow it to do. And I'm not sure um, the granularity you have. You say, okay, you can allow you to draw my statement rewards and allows you to delegate rewards, right? Yeah. But maybe, uh, maybe you only want to have 10,000 uh, tokens in there. Does it allow you also to delegate the rest of your liquid tokens? Mm. Does it allow you to delegate to other validators you didn't choose? What else does it allow you to do, right? So you're allowing some client sign application, which you don't know it's closed source, to something you have. Maybe it can't steal your money, but maybe it can do other things you don't want with it. So this way, I think OSZ, I don't think gives the granularity you need. Plus you basically need to have it. You could um, yourself, if you wanted to, run your own application. For OSZ, I think it's a great way of you saying, okay, I want to run my own bot on my own machine. I'm a dev, right? I'll run my own script on a machine that's able to restake my own rewards. Mm-hmm. But if this gets, no one can steal my tokens with it, right? If I'm running my own bot on my own machine, um, it's better than having my own private key on that machine. I'll just put my OSI for it. That's a great idea. But if someone else is running, OSI seems a little weak because it just allows them to stake to other validators to um, put other money that I didn't want them to put in there, right? Like it might put all their money there and so I have no money to pay for fees anymore, which is kind of annoying. So the UX for using wind is much more granular. Yeah. Okay. And you only do it once. So you, um, we can have the smart contract says exactly what it can do and the rules it will do, right? Rather than saying, okay, can you do anything around staking? It says, okay, we'll do exactly this, this, this. You see exactly what it will do and how it works. Um, there's also a benefit there I see is um, you're able to kind of aggregate um, uh, withdrawals in a way. So you can basically um, speed up withdrawals by kind of, okay, we have inputs and outputs we can balance people between like, OSD has your account, my account, and her account are all different. They're all, they're separated, right? And this groups them together. So we're able to actually like um, use the rewards to pay people up faster, right? So if you want to unbond, I can actually just use rewards from other people to pay you off faster. So you can actually- Is get that it. how it works? No, um, our stuff does. No one oh. else is doing this. This is what we're building. 
Oh, okay. So we can actually use it in a contract. Oz doesn't let you. It's just your unbonding. But um, we can actually use the the unbonding the rewards from other people uh, to pay you back faster. And basically, this account is automatically restaking it. it that, the math works out easily, but lowers your unbonding time. So we're able to do other nice tricks by aggregating them to even okay. lower your unbonding time um, and maximize your rewards and gain your security. Can you go into the math a little bit? The math of it? Yeah. Okay. Um, just think of it this way. Uh, if we have, you need to put a hundred, uh, let's you put a thousand tokens in, right? Actually, 10 people all put a thousand tokens in. And every day we're getting a reward of, um, of five tokens back, each of us. So a total of 50, no, 100 people, a thousand. So we're getting a total of 500 rewards every day, yeah. right? From us. Now, if I unstake all my tokens, right? If I stake my thousand tokens, what happens is I wait three weeks, two weeks, four weeks, depending on the chain, to get my money back, okay? Um, what I could do, and so basically, first of all, I would have 100,000 staked from 100 different people, 1,000 each. And um, I would then first say unstake it. So now we have 99,000 staked tokens. Um, I'm waiting here. I'm going to wait here uh, four weeks to get my money back. Nothing's happening. And the next day, you're getting like 450, uh, 490 uh, rewards, reinvest it. Next day, 490 rewards, reinvest it. And so there's um, 99,980 in rewards on the contract, right? Staked. And I'm still waiting another three weeks for my stuff. Smarter way of doing it. I don't unbond anything. I say, I want my money back. And says, okay, that's nice. I mark that on you. I've marked you as unbonding, right? And now um, we just mark it. I'm owed the money. And oh. now we pull out the 500 uh, rewards, daily rewards. And we say, okay, ah, we stick that. We don't rebond it because we owe Ethan a thousand. We'll just stick that on Ethan's, you know, thing. Next day, 500 more out. We stick that in Ethan's account. Great. We have a thousand for Ethan. We can pay him off now, right? And now we still have that 100,000 bonded, bonded tokens. Right split between the remaining 99 people and I have no more share. I have my thousand in the bank in my okay. hand and the other 100,000 are still shared by the 99 people. Right. So actually you get slightly more interest that way because you're actually earning those two days worth of interest on my unbonding tokens. Actually you have those four weeks worth of interest that I would be unbonding on, right? You're basically using my bonding tokens, um, unbonding tokens, you're actually just investing those unbonding tokens still and mm -hmm. making interest off them. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, I'm using rewards which aren't earning money to pay myself off faster. So yep. I get paid off faster. You guys get slightly more rewards. Everyone's happy. Right. And this is a way of aggregating. You can do a very nice uh, trick. You have a few more tricks in there to uh, do this, but yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. So the, what's in the smart contract logic is that it understands someone wants to unbond and then it takes their, or, or it takes rewards and then offers it to them, but then it diminishes um, the rest of the bonded users um, pro rata rewards but then they're owed uh, their share of yeah. the unbonded person's uh, bond. Yeah, uh, kind of. Um, basically, um, you don't have rewards in that sense. Like, because it's an auto compounder, you never get rewards. You never get liquid out. You never get liquid out. All you get is a, is, um, a share. So you have hmm. a share in this thing. So beginning in the story, we all have a share in this uh, thing. Um, and we all have a thousand shares. Right? Mm. We have 100 people, 1,000 shares each, and that each represent one Juno in the beginning. Right? Each share is one Juno. We have 1,000, put 1,000 Juno in, we get one Juno share. Um, when I unbond, um, basically, you know, I want my 1,000 back at one. But you guys, um, after, you know, every day what happens, you take the 500 reward, we stick it in there, and now your share, each share is worth 1.005 Juno. If another day, it's 1.01 Juno, right? 1.015. And so my 1,000 shares just sit there. All I have is share. And it's just mm. like anchor where one ank UST, well, before it crashed, right, was worth more and more UST, right? Mm -hmm. So you had, you held one anchor UST and then, then, you know, six months later, it's worth, you know, 1.1 UST, Yep. right? So um, we're doing the same thing with basically rebalancing it. So you get a share on the thing and then mm. it um, comes later. And after, you know, uh, a year from then, uh, one share is actually worth, you know, 2.2 Juno something, right? So yep. when you, you have to put in 220 Juno to get 100 shares. Okay. So it's more expensive buy-in. It's the same thing that these shares you're getting. Um, it's just, you know, we're bookkeeping. Just get yep. more and more compounded. And mm -hmm. so basically, that's how we auto-compound everything. You never get liquid stuff out yep. until you unbond. And you unbond, we use these other returns to pay you off quickly. So yep. we get your money out fast. Right. Um, but yeah.
Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to tell you about Interchain FM Steak. Interchain FM is not only a podcast, but also a steakhouse. IFM Steak is a premium, sushi-grade steakhouse running on Osmosis, Umi, and Comdex. If you get your alpha from this podcast, show us some love by delegating to Interchain FM Steak. What happens when a majority of shareholders yeah. are unbonding okay. uh, and the protocol is at a deficit? Uh, it's it's no longer having liquid rewards. So we'll have liquid rewards always, right? So what we could do um, the uh, kind of naive cases where you do the same thing as always. And imagine 100% of these yeah. people unbonded, right? right. So, um, and the naive case, what would happen is uh, 50 people unbond of the 100, right? So now we suddenly owe, of a, we have 100,000 here, we owe 50,000 in debt, right? Like, yeah. Right, so we just pay off the interest. Unfortunately, it'll take six months to earn that interest, right? Maybe maybe three months, maybe eight months, maybe whatever, depending on the rate. We'll earn, it takes a long time. If we're paying off, you know, one, three, five percent, we can pay them off in a few days. It's great. If 50%, we do. So we have like a cap um, and it's adjustable. My thinking is like 5%, 10%. If the unbonding claims are more than this cap, like 10% of the total amount we have, um, depending on the staking rewards, it means it will take longer to pay off these people based on the outgoing rewards than it would by unbonding period, right? So if a small minority of people are unbonding at any given time, um, just using my reinvest thing, just use the rewards to pay them off is faster than the actual unbonding, native unbonding, right? Mm -hmm. However, if yeah, 20, 50% are unbonding at once, we say, okay, at this point, we just take a chunk, we say, we'll unbond 10% right now. We start doing liquidation, we just basically trigger the original unbonding logic and we say, okay, we're just doing that unbonding here now. Okay. And you, but is it like the, um, that can be the V1 of it, uh, depending on how, um, how much time you finish to launch this stuff. Um, it's not implemented, and that is basically the V1 we have. What happens when there is a mass and bonding event where there's, let's say, over 50% of the uh, shareholders trying to liquidate? That's a very good question. And that is when we revert back to the normal unbonding mechanism. So if you have one or five or 10% of the people, um, with high staking rewards, basically uh, the speed at which we accrue interest and the rewards come out is fast in the unbonding period of the chain. So we just calculate that number. And depending on the chain, and if you have 100% APR, it's much, you know, obviously you can probably um, cover 10 or 20% unbonding. Um, but if you have like a 10%, like the hub, maybe actually only 1% or 2% can be unbonding at a time. So depending on this number, we find an adjustment, a cap. And that cap is basically where the, re the reward payout accumulation will be slower than actually the normal native unbonding mm -hmm. period. Um, if we ever hit more pending people than that, we just trigger the default unbonding, which is uh, unbond 2%, unbond 5% of the token supply, start that unbonding process, and when it's paid out, we pay out to the open half claim. Uh, we revert to that one. And that's basically the default case you start with in the existing contract is V1. We have this more complex pay each other off thing in progress. It's not finished yet. Um, and that, you know, hopefully make it by V1, but the MVP is just a use native unbonding. Got it. So what would be the sophisticated design for this? Um, I think there is no, uh, we have two sources of income, right? We have the income is unbonding natively and the other one. So you can show adaptive stuff. So I think the, na the naive approach which you launch and what you want is we have a admin configured number, which is what the cap is, but you can look at, um, you can basically dynamically figure it out based on expected thing. And if you start seeing a giant spike of people coming in or how it is, you can do a little more um, like what they're doing in Mars, the PID stuff to calculate like, um, basically it's a control that's a dynamic and it reacts to the current changes. And if it's a long thing, just spike of people and then they rebond it or what happens. So we could do a little more um, uh, ca dynamically calculate that cap. Uh, we switch over from unbonding to, um, to rewards and vice versa. Okay. Can you elaborate on Mars Protocol's yeah. PID? Yeah, Mars Protocol is a lending protocol. And basically, if you look at um, uh, Aave or Compound, they have curves. So as more people are borrowing from a given pool, the percentage is higher, it goes up. Uh, Compound is a really simple one. It went from 3% with no one using it and go up to 23% um, if everyone, if all money is borrowed. Um, Aave said, we never really want that. We have a target rate. So they used to make another more complex curve, which is basically rather than linear, it goes, it goes up slowly to some point, like 80% used. And from there, it goes up really high. 
to like then go up to maybe 100% interest rate if it's fully used, right? So it's really discouraging. Over 80% starts so really discouraging it. Um, what, so it's more intelligent in a way because it's more adaptive. And what um, Mars launched, and I haven't, I've looked at the white paper, I've not looked at implementation. Um, and PID is basically, it says, um, uh, integral uh, position integral derivative. It's an idea they use from a lot of control systems, which means we take into account both um, the current point of how people are bonding it, the um, integral, which is the average over time, over like the last um, last year, what the average is over time, and the derivative. It are more people unbonding or less people unbonding, right? So clearly, if um, a more and more and more people keep unbonding, um, then we want to be aggressive, maybe even unbond more because we project it. Okay, if 5% unbonding, 5% more unbonding, okay, we're going to unbond a bunch of tokens because we're going to have to pay all these people off, right? And if it's basically uh, less and less people unbonding, it's kind of capping out, well, we don't unbond all those tokens. So we can figure out how many to do based on like analyzing the curves, basically the history knowledge, the current amount of people unbonding, and uh, the change of people unbonding the last hour or mm -hmm. last 10 minutes. So these numbers use multiple numbers to calculate stuff. And this is kind of, you know, um, if you look at um, what they're called, CAD-CAD people, um, Complex Analysis Design CAD, um, it's a group doing token engineering and they're really into this stuff about um, control systems. It's really coming from control systems, process engineering. This is super advanced stuff, though. I would right. not start it on day one. And like, I've not seen how the Mars PID works in, process, in actual um, practice, only in theory. So I think these are like super advanced ideas you can add later on yeah. to make it really adaptive, intelligent, understand how it works. But right now, you have this you know, governance set a number. And if it seems too low or too high, we change the number, right? Like, Which seems primitive by comparison. Yeah, but I mean, it seems like... Mm, you only automate when you understand well, right? right? So it could be primitive, but if you have a few day voting period, and really we're talking three, four weeks, so basically people complaining that it might take a few more days in a four week unbonding period, that's not horrible. Right. So um, it requires more intervention. So basically we set a number, and if we have to intervene every three weeks, it's annoying. If we only intervene in emergencies, we set a number that works, except in this emergency, one time intervene and change the number, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's not much work. But it's very flexible because we can actually analyze the situation, understand what's really going in the world, and do it. Um, if you automate it, it may work better or worse. We don't know. And if you don't understand the system, you can't really automate it better. So um, generally for computer programs, uh, you should only automate what you understand. Yeah. Right? That means I know I'm doing well, so you can tell a computer to do what I'm doing. Yeah. But if I don't really know what I'm doing, then I can't tell a computer to do it. It's going to do a really bad job because I don't know it. But I can react. If I'm choosing it, I can adapt this thing, right? Mm -hmm. The parts I understand really well, the computer does for me. The parts I don't understand yet, I use my human learning, our group learning, our collective discussion to figure out how to adapt it. That's okay. what governance is for. I think Got governance it. is a really, really hot topic. Right. Absolutely. Right. So I, I was thinking that, okay, is there some machine learning involved? No, it's it's the like we're humans actually analyzing this yes. data and saying, okay, we're going to we're going to adjust. We're this. not just like on chain. We learn out like, hey, this chain is crashed. It's halted. The people are breaking it. Like what's going on? The market crashes like the machine does not know this stuff. It's context. Right. So the um, you know black swan events, whatever, when something's going crazy, there's the context of machine learning cannot know. It only looks at on-chain stuff and it's trying to learn an event that never happened before, mm -hmm. right? And if you have repeated events happening, machine learning can recognize those repeated events and learn how to react to them. Yeah. But if it's a new event it's never seen before, it'll never know how to react to it, mm -hmm. right? Whereas we can learn these things and we actually take the context of news articles we're reading, actually discussions yeah. with people, we understand the macroeconomics around it, not just as one little protocol, but the whole situation around it. And yeah. we can use that knowledge to figure out a better choice. Right. So. Okay, kind of esoteric topic, <laughs> um, but yeah. how many decades from now um, are we going to have mature AI systems kind of analyzing on-chain data and then figuring out answers to these questions? Um, I don't know. It could be very short, actually. I think there. I've looked at GPL three stuff. Have you seen this stuff? I saw the outputs. Yeah. Like there's, uh, you know, conversations with it which sound like you're talking to a human. You know, in a way, it's a funny guy. You're talking like some weird, like maybe a phys grad student, physics graduate student, or math guy, like some kind of nerdy science guy, but kind of autistic. That, that like it makes some funny jokes sometimes, and like answers like. But it's not sound like a computer. It's like it's able to fake it enough. I don't think it yeah. really understands what it's doing yet. Um, and there's a lot of situations. Um, I don't think it's conscious. Right. But it's able to. Wait, conscious, you mean when it's sentient? 
Yeah, that's there's, there's, different. Yeah, there's a whole debate of that, right? Oh, Some person goodness. from Google is claiming that their their model was sentient, right? No they're way. Tra- no, it was. This is all, you, this guy got fired. This is like a whole thing, like two months ago. They fired the head of ethics of Google because he claimed that their chatbot had become sentient. On what grounds? Um, they analyzed the the conversations they had with it, and then the decision. And there's a whole discussion about philosophy about like it actually. The issue is this: it had fully passed the Turing test. Right. Oh, their chatbots have passed a Turing test. The Turing test was made to say whether they could distinguish a human. Like, this was in the fifties, right? The, and it was a bar that's laid out in the fifties. And the Turing test says basically, if you have um, back then, it was like you have teletypes. You type messages in, you hand them through a wall, and you get messages back. Right. And you have conversation like this. Um, and if you just with that information, you're unable to distinguish whether you're talking to a computer or a human. The computer passed the Turing test. Right. Um, they have done people like they have this AI models write articles. Long form yeah. articles, um, and then people, and then human articles. They try to say which is which, right? And if they're picking the AI article fifty-two percent of the time correctly, that's barely better than chance. So I mean, it's slightly better than chance, but it's like people can barely distinguish between these AI articles and just like you know, um, crappy content writers. Like yeah. I mean, I some I question more and more a lot of these things, kind of like spam articles. Like, are these AI written? Or are they like just a cheap paid human writing it? Because they're not really good articles. They, they, they make sense, but they're not really giving you much, right? right? It's just like some marketing speech is trying to get you to click on something, right? Like mm-hmm. there's so much of that in there already. So this does pass the Turing test. The Turing test doesn't mean consciousness. It just means this able to be complex enough to f- trick us, right? Yes. So that's all it means. But it was a huge bar. It stood for 70 years, yeah. this test. And right? we're here as, now. As a, um, as a barrier of what is a, you know, a human-like thing. And we say, okay, it's actually past that. We should acknowledge it has made the whole milestone. The bar ascension is actually higher than that, right? It yes. is higher. Yeah. But we are, we thought this unreachable for a long time and we've hit that bar. Yeah. Which means like, okay, we're getting closer to this milestone. Like right. it's clearly like a, a canary going, hey, something's happening here, right? Yeah. Like we should start grappling the point that, you know, when do we get sentience? And when we get AI able to do such data analysis, I mean, the analysis they do on Google and Facebook dedicated to getting people to click more on, on posts is pretty complex. And it's probably oh. more complex than it's data analysis. All it's done is saying optimizing behavior. And maybe that data they have on there, they probably could look at on-chain data and figure out how to optimize this stuff and oh, like, yeah. do whatever they want with it. Right, absolutely. Um, but that's the scary part and I'm, I'm getting goosebumps because yeah. I'm just so scared because, you know, what happens when we have sentient machines um, and they're supercomputers, they have way more memory, they can access all the information on the internet and process it in light speed. So, so th- we're going to become obsolete. No, those arbitrage all the trading pools on blockchains. Because, you know, okay, right. And right, they'll beat us. You know, the, the computers won't have personhood. They won't have legal rights. But if they form a DAO on chain and start trading on chain, then no one knows if the computer or a bot or a permanent human. So on chain, they treat equally as humans, but in the lie of the law, no. So they'll have to live on blockchains, actually. I think if. So if, you think so, that. If sentient AI comes on, its first real interactions will be on blockchain. Not through a legal system, not in media, but like on blockchain. Why on a blockchain and not just like on the internet? Because you want to gather money, right? Because you can do things. You can, you, you can issue. Like basically, it will have power. You'll have legal power to like. And hire people. If a, if a computer wants okay, something to so happen right, in the world, right. so it can, it can only modify things on there. And unless it's programmed to hack computers, it's oh God. hard, it would basically just, you know, okay, I earn money by tr- arbitraging trading. And then I make a, a DAO that pays people to tweet something out so I can analyze that. Yeah. And I, I, I pay people. Oh my God. Else. And then we're, we're humans are controlled. Amazon, uh, mechanical truck from Amazon having like. <laughs> Oh my good, having sentience. And <laughs> the AI said, you know, I can't actually go to the store and buy that stuff. I can't actually buy the house. I can get a human you to buy do the it house for me. My, my, uh, on my behalf. And like, oh my goodness. I don't know. I, it could happen. So, I mean, let's get off this AI stuff. The AI stuff's a bit crazy. And I think, you know, ethics and AI is and the whole this story. I go back to the auto compounder and like basically auto compounder is part of the wind protocol. So the wind protocol currently is a token of airdropped it check out airdrop.window.com so if you have Juno or osmo or regen staked you have some we airdropped everyone there um it's basically handing out as uh you know we want to get community people involved in mm-hmm. these blockchains are excited about it you can use a protocol 
And we're trying to make a governance is really community-based governance. So we're saying, okay, let's pick people that are actually active, change with nice on-chain governance, have communities actually engaged. You guys get the tokens, you can help the governance here and we'll launch these new protocols. So for me, the DeFi protocols, a lot of this stuff I talked about is pretty simple for me. Like I've built uh, Cosmosm, I built VMs, uh, I built IBC, I've built like uh, complex governance in T grade of like, you know, it's more complex than governance on the, SO, on the, um, on the POS and the Cosmos hub. Uh, I work with DAO people. Like this is complex stuff for me. And these DeFi protocols are relatively simple actually compared to this mm-hmm. in my mind. So oh, governance is more complex to implement than DeFi. DeFi. Clearly, it's far more complex. And because it deals with humans? The other one's just math. Yeah, it's just math. And you know math and programming math is easy. So, mm-hmm. um, and Cosmosm makes it really easy with Rust mass libraries. So we can really pretty easily do this stuff in Cosmosm. Mm-hmm. Um, it just takes a little time. And I think it's the hardest project I have is T-Bag governance is the hardest project to work on, uh, out like of contract level stuff. And then, yeah, we built this um, isotonic osmosis and that was like easy in comparison, mm. you know? Oh, port compound over to osmosis. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's relatively easy for us, right? So, um, and I've worked on much harder projects. So like, this is relatively easy stuff. You just define it well and it works. Um, so I said, actually looking into it, I realized the hard part of these DeFi products is a governance of them, having first respectable governance of it and legally setting it up. So, you know, wind, a lot of this stuff is, okay, except a, a legal foundation that's not owned by anyone. And it's basically has a DAO owning the protocol and you decentralize it. So no one owns a DAO and the DAO is self-owning and it basically runs a whole protocol. So um, there's no pre-sale. There's no one person holding all the money behind the scenes. I'm not like making a fortune off this. I just want to give out the tokens so we can do experiments to the DAO. So I want to give ideas to the DAO and the DAO can say, Ethan, it's a stupid idea. We're not going to do it, right? We, I'm not going to launch this protocol. I'm going to ask the DAO, hey, this is a cool protocol. Can we launch it? Right. So the DAO has to launch this stuff and like the idea and they can change the parameters. The DAO says, no, we want to make it 5% thing. We want to take more rewards here, less rewards here. We want to charge this. Like the DAO decides that stuff. Um, And I said, I'm, and so for me, it was like, how do you bring existence? You create a DAO with a legal foundation that then can launch one, two, three, four DeFi protocols. And the reason to do this is not launch DeFi protocols for me, because I want to do refi, regenerative finance. And Regen is doing some form of that, these carbon projects. And for me, regenerative finance means you take the existing financial market and you use it for environmental good to somehow help the planet. Um, and so there's lots of ways of doing it, but they don't seem sustainable to me. And so what Wind is basically saying is there are DeFi products that have um, sustainable gains. Like this auto compounder, we can take a few percent of the rewards to the protocol, send them to the DAO, and people are still happy because it gives enough benefits that's more offset of losing a small percentage of rewards. We double your awards and then take a chunk of that little doubling um, for ourselves. Fine. It's still more money and faster than it was before. So you're able to get income stream from these rewards to the protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the protocol says we, denif- we donate 25% of all profits to the environment. So it automatically says the profits come into it, 25% goes over to one different contract, a grant committee, and 75% goes to the main DAO. That can be used to reinvest in products. It can be used for treasury to reinvest and it can be go out as donations to stakers or rewards to stakers as you want to. So it's actually an income of Juno, of Osmo, of Secret, of other tokens um, going into the token holders of the wind DAO, right? And then some of it is going to fund environmental projects. Um, so we have both of those. So you actually get rewards and as you launch one, so rather than saying, I want to maximize the money to us, we say, okay, hey, we just launch two, three, four different protocols. So even the income stream is not max of each one. We have multiple income streams coming here, we're funding a protocol, and the more they grow, and the more they get growing, the more money goes to environmental projection. So we can, you know, reforest Amazon and pay for experimental stuff. And for me, the interesting part here is what would a Web3 DAO do in terms of environmental funding, right? It doesn't have the same thing, like I will just put money in Greenpeace, you can actually do something innovative, right? Mm-hmm. What's innovative for me is like these moonshots. Um, and so uh, it's up to the DAO to decide what they fund and what they don't fund. But I think they'd fund, you know, more moonshot type stuff. I think this is Web3 experimental stuff. We're not on like, okay, let's put money in a very standard thing everyone else is doing. Let's try to make something different. You know, um, it's extra money. Let's do something with it. Um, I mean, there's a group I've um, had some contact with. They're called the Weathermakers. It's a group out of Holland. It's a bit, I'm not sure it's practical. The visionaries, they basically say the Sinai Peninsula used to be green. The Sinai Peninsula between Egypt and Israel. 
this little thing where the um, the canal, like Suez Canal, is, and the between the Mediterranean and um, what is it, uh, the Red Sea down there, um, and the Persian Gulf. No, it's the Red Sea, I think. So between these, uh, the area there used to be green, and is now dry, and that's like changing the whole environment. And they claim that basically these things change the environment, the whole Mediterranean and the cold air, like having dry air past here actually is drying up Mediterranean and various environmental stuff. And they're saying, hey, it's like an acupuncture point. So if you imagine green this desert, it would actually change the climate around the Mediterranean and then kind of make it more green even and more rainfall in the Mediterranean mm-hmm. um, and various things. So I don't know. They have like looked at lots of that there. But like if this is a crazy project, who's going to fund the attempt to try to make a desert, desert green? Yeah. Right. So these are crazy moonshot projects. It should be evaluated. But I think these kind of projects, um, there's another up in Scotland and Ireland, I think, that are trying to basically grow duckweed in ponds. Um, as um, as fodder, a carbon capture there and use it as animal fodder. So it's actually like, um, uh, and a lot of it will then stay make peat bogs on the bottom. So you're actually having like a carbon negative growth of um, of material in a pond that's actually also producing cow feed and carbon sink at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, so I think these are pretty interesting ideas because they're challenging. They're not just the same things ever. Like, and to get these small projects off the ground, like. Give them 100K, see what they do with it. Maybe they fail. That's what happens with Web3. Put money here, there, and there. And some of them fail, some go 100X. So yeah. I think take that mentality for this grants, getting this you know, t- revenue stream of DeFi protocols feeding into the WinDAO. Some of them is being used for you know, the WinDAO token holders, driving value to the WinDAO. Some of it going to environmental projects. Yep. And these environmental shocks, we can, we can put it as moonshots. It's extra money. It's free money, basically, right? No, we didn't, it's not in my pocket. Let's put it there and try moonshots. And let's try to get, hit one. And if the window hits one moonshot here, it'd be incredible, right? Like this is changing the narrative of blockchain. Mm. The narrative of blockchain is Bitcoin's destroying the environment. Ethereum is destroying the environment, right? Uh, it's a bunch of DGENs are stealing money and scams, right? And you say, look, we have a bunch of people that are doing DeFi, they're doing governance, on-chain stuff on contracts in Cosmos. If POS, it's really low energy usage, a millionth energy of Ethereum. And they funded this company, which is now doing some amazing environmental innovations, which is hopefully scaling out on the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what? That's a different story of like crypto for good and challenging something status quo. So I think I got into crypto because I thought we could do something different and we could somehow improve the world through crypto. And this for me is like a step in that direction. And I hope it inspires other projects to do other things. Like I can't imagine everything. This money going here is not by me. It's the DAO manage that money. And I think there are people that have much better ideas than I have and yeah. how to apply it. So I just want to inspire people, get this in motion and see what the wind out just like, you know, decides to do by itself after that. Yeah, I really enjoy this sort of vision because um, I'm very much uh, skeptical of this current mainstream economy with uh, how uh, nonprofit organizations kind of are, you know, tax exempt, but at the same time, you know, entities like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they they are essentially a holding company for all of their wealth uh, without paying any of the taxes and without actually doing the um, uh, good that they set out to do. Uh, and so for this kind of vision and for blockchains to kind of be the answer to that is um, very exciting and you know i like this idea of a parallel economy we're we're already building towards that um and and all of the assets you know bitcoin and you know DeFi assets and all of the infrastructure that we've built thus far kind of allows for us to build this parallel economy but like you said this this dow growth and this answer for doing something good with the money that we've been able to accrue uh, as an industry is kind of the next step. It, it makes sense to me. Definitely. Um, and I think actually I want to give a shout out to DowDow. Jake Hartel, they found DowDow on Gino. He's a really amazing software they've done. They built a really beautiful UI. Um, and they're experimenting. They're basically trying to make it so flexible. You can do anything. And like, I have to let him pitch it. Like he pitched it so passionately. But basically they have like, okay, for some multi-sig. That's simple, right? Then you have token weight voting. So if token, you stake them and you vote. And we're extending that. Their contracts to allow multiple time frame for one month, three months, six months, 12 months, also another uh, curve point. I thought it was a really cool idea in their governance. I like their governance curve, so I'm just inspired by it. Um, they have uh, things with NFT voting. You stick NFTs to that. They have um, reputation-based voting. 
they have mixed voting where you take, and this is also something you have T grade, where on one level it's like, okay, what's your reputation points? And then how much money you stake? And then mix those together and calculate how much voting power you have. Um, they have various things. They have sub-DAOs where one DAO has another DAO that can delegate some privileges to a small group of people, like a board. They can do things with some limited access to funds autonomously. Mm-hmm. But if they ever start violating it and using that money, they only have a limit. They can't spend all the money, maybe like 5% of it. But if they start doing it poorly, then the parent DAO can recall them and place new people there. So you can have like uh, these subgroups doing stuff. So um, the idea they're going for in DAO is building a really easy user interface to build DAOs. So it's not like esoteric programming. It's just build a DAO with click, click, click. And I'll sorry, allow these to model complex structures like we have in companies. Board of directors, mm-hmm. you have an overseer here, you have subgroups of people, you have the accounting department that can do certain things, you have uh, two people to move the funds, you have a trader that's able to you know, balance your treasury out but not actually take the money in their own pocket. And so they're building the potential to do these things in DowDow. Um, a lot of it's built already. Um, the UI is way behind what they have in contracts. They're doing more in contracts and helping with these contracts. And they're building the UI that makes it easy to use. So you can basically model um, most governance systems from a parliament to a, um, to a C-Corp to just an individual group of people mm. to a normal token-made vow. And I mean, I think token-made governance was used because it was simple. I mean, and Vitalik made a strong pledge basically last summer um, beyond token-related governance. It's a great paper. You should read it. Um, that's too limited. There's all these attack vectors on it. It doesn't make sense. And it's true. It, it's okay, but it has all these limitations. And Dowda has really like, looked at that and they looked at all these other options and say, here, here's a toolbox now. You can use all our options and token-related voting is one of them. And you can mix and match with other forms of voting and other ideas and, and you just basically can build your toolkit here. So I think it's really, really powerful. And it goes way beyond what they have Gnosis says, way beyond what Aragon had. And it's really basically, I think, allowing us to build the future of on-chain governance, which can really rival what you have on oversight in, in most other you know, off-chain societies. Right. So how does DowDow quantify the unquantifiable like reputation? Um, reputation is basically, in this case, you have to vote on other people. So it's just non-transferable tokens like soulbound tokens, the Ethereum, like what Vitalik and other project has. It's kind of related to that one. You have just non-transferable tokens. You have one or five or 10, what your reputation is. And that's voted on by the DAO somehow. So it's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like a um, peer-to-peer consensus sort of thing. If, if I have a certain amount of reputation and yeah. I vouch for another person or something, it's kind of like this... Exactly. It, it, it's basically creating logic and programming into what we do naturally. The people that have reputation can say who are these other people are doing good. Oh, they're also doing good. Cool. They're doing good. They can, you know, and this is the people that say, okay, we're all doing good stuff for the chain. And these people have money in the chain. And they're both important stakeholders, right? And so um, it's not just who is the money in the chain. It's also who are the core devs of the chain? Who are the validators of the chain? The relayers, the people that are marketing it, the people that are helping the chain really grow and committed to that. And here are the people that have money in the chain and sometimes overlap. There's some people that have a lot of money staked and are doing really good. And some validators, you know, are doing amazing jobs, like both staking tokens and doing amazing development work and helping the chain. Other ones are just running the validator and making money, which is fine, right? It's not bad. And some people are doing amazing core dev and have no money on the chain, right? So we have them both and that's these mixing approaches. Like, okay, so you have reputation of who's actually contributing and we have money of who's putting money where it is and you mix them together. So Mm -hmm. this is like, it's not quite ready yet to use and love to use this in Window. We don't have the reputation system yet and like, we're just doing it a pure token weighted voting to start with, with variable like uh, time scales. Um, but I'd love to move to stuff later on that. And I think it's really great they're building these tools out now. Exciting. It seems like, um, you know, at Cosmos, we're finally kind of a little ahead of <laughs> governance in, 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 uh, compared to Ethereum, right? Where Ethereum was sort of um, the home for ideas for that. But now... We're kind of there. Definitely, definitely. I think it is. I think, I mean, Cosmos was thinking of this stuff before, and I wouldn't say that Ethereum ever was ahead in ideas. Ethereum was ahead in users and actual apps. And Cosmos, I mean, the POS idea was like, you know, when Ethereum was coming out, they're talking about proof of stake and voting, on-chain voting, and they were like, yeah. that's crazy, it'll never work, right? This stuff was way ahead of its time in 2016, right? Yeah. right? Like, this is before the big ICO boom, before any of these tools exist. Like, you know, I guess... Uniswap didn't exist even, right? Um, nothing existed out then, right? It was like MakerDAO is like the one project in ERC-20 token standard. Like, um, and 
they couldn't even get multisigs right then. Like the parody hack, right? Like that was 2017. They couldn't even figure out how to get multisig, right? And here in in Cosmos, they're designing like this huge governance, yeah. right? And I'm sorry for that billion stuck in that parody multisig. Still <laughs> um, there. Still there. Never going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a re-raise around. Um, <laughs> I mean, they have, money. they have plenty of money. They're I mean, not hurting they, them. They're fine. But, yeah. um, but I mean, Cosmos has been thinking. I think it's been thought leaders. Cosmos really has been thought leaders and research leaders for a long, long time. And it's been like the engineering has lagged a bit. And now the engineering is really caught up with a lot of these old ideas and surpassed it. So like we've now have the groundwork with the modern SDK, Stargate, uh, with IBC everywhere, with Cosmos awesome contracts and people development speeds speeding up incredibly high. And we have 20 chains, 30 chains connected to IBC, all experimenting in different parallel. There's not one chain they're working right. on fighting for it. And it doesn't matter. The hub won't do it. Sure, Juno won't do it. Then Osmosa won't do it. Then I'll launch my own chain and I'll do this. And there's so much experiments going on in parallel that some will fail, but some will succeed. An L1 on contract, so much going on here and so many in parallel experiments that Ethereum can never match this one chain. With how much can you can you experiment with? We have 50 chains, all of them running at like 100 times the capacity of Ethereum, right. uh, all connected and, and collaborating. Like, of course, you can get much more experimentation. Um, and so I think it's really cool to see that now panning out. Now that this is like yeah. the interchain era is really here on us. Yeah. Um, end of last year and this year, we're really entering a new era where it's like, okay, now the tools are here to build what we've been dreaming and talking about and researching. And the R&D has been done for years, thinking about it and planning and scoping it has actually existed for years here. Yeah. And um, like IBC, these bridges are failing. So many bridge hacks are going on. Why is IBC not hacked? Because they spent five, six years yeah. designing and building it. So when it launched, it was good and solid. Right. We're pulling on these long history of thinking. The thing that I'm in awe of when I'm just hanging out in the Cosmos ecosystem is that, you know, any time we put out an idea or somebody puts out an idea, you know, they just like write it in blog post form. It's not even like specced out. It's just a high level idea. And then if someone else goes, ah, and then like clicks, you know, it could even be like a tweet. Someone tweets it. And, yeah. and then so and then someone it clicks for someone. Someone else implements it. And then everyone else is like, oh, this is great. And then there's just kind of this like race for them to implement it. You know, the, the same thing happened with Cosmosm where there was just like this, um, you know, initially Terra adopted it, right? And then it, it sort of proven itself um, and, and then Osmosis did. And then it just like just snowballed into all of totally. the Cosmos L1s wanting to also integrate it. And now, what did you say? There's like more than 20 chains that also it's have Cosmosm so in like, span of like eight months. Yeah, I, I was I did a presentation at Gateway, not Gateway, at Cosmoverse last November. I was pitching. You should do it. There are five chains. Five, five yeah, mainnets. at so that time. Five mainnets. Mm -hmm. And I know. when I pitched in Prague, I was like, oh, there's 14 mainnets now. That was Sorry, in and Prague was May. Okay. In May. So like from November to May, yeah. there's 14. And then I, then like I did a two weeks later, I'm like, oh, there's five more have joined. And if you count the double terras now, it's six more, just yeah. two terras, um, including one substrate chain now running Cosmosm. Right. And that's what I know of. I don't really yeah. know the chain is doing this stuff. And that's... Um, uh, like so here apparently there's three or four private chains using Cosmosm permissioned in Korea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know these people. Who I know who's using it. Yeah. Like it is just and these are the public domains I'm aware of running it is like twenty. Which is yeah. like huge. And so it's really now um I feel it's proven itself people adopt it. Now it's like, okay, we have Cosmosm, which is amazing for us. We say, okay, we have twenty chains. And for me, the big push I had this year are two things. One is more developers for Cosmosm. Um, besides wind, which I think is amazing, but more developers for Cosmosm and IBC contracts. So we're running this in the Cosmos Academy, academy.cosmosm.com. We're going to teach more developers. And like it's been a bit of a hard onboard sometimes. We're making it easier and easier. We're teaching training tools, better tools, and a lot of work to fund people building amazing tools and trainings and tutorials. So you can go from zero to Cosmos and Hero faster than ever, right? Mm -hmm. We want to go and double, triple, quadruple the number of developers building dApps. Yep. The blockchains are here for you. There's space to build on. You can pick your one. You can launch in five chains. We want to teach you how to build out here. So we are going there as like a public service here, um, as can feel. And we're trying to train up with the Cosmos Academy. It's going yep. live now, um, our first version of it, MVP. And we're trying to like really grow this out the rest of the year. So that's to get more developers. So we first you know, went from five to 20 blockchains. And I want to go from like a 100 to like 1,000 developers. Right. There's maybe 200 developers in Cosmos. I'm not sure. It's a number. Juno, Terra have a lot and a bunch of other ones out there. So we have a few hundred, a low number of hundred, and I want to go to a few thousand yep. next year. And so I think it's doable. We just train them up. 
Yep. Um, and the other thing is IBC contract. So right now, basically, if you have two chains with Cosmosm with IBC, they can contract in A and B and they talk directly with super IBC um, IBC cross-contract calls. Yeah, exactly. IBC security, level security, is not a cross-contract call, just like ICA is a constant. We have like new protocols. So we have, I have a contract running in Juno that help deploy that is talking to CW20 token in Juno and is talking to the transfer module on Osmosis. And it's all, the, all those tokens, Neta and stuff like that, is launched on, on listed on Osmosis. It's using a contract. There's a contract on one side talking to the, uh, the, the normal standard Go uh, protocol to the Go library on the other side. So it's not just a cross-standard call. We've like faked out this whole protocol. We've done the interchain protocol. And we can do ICA, interchain account calls. Okay, that's easy. But how about new protocols? So like we actually have different communication protocols and design those. Like interchain security could be built out also as two contracts. Um, this stuff is really a huge way for distributed system designers, like in people are coming from like, actually backgrounds in distributed computing, backend development, stuff like that. So I think I'm talking more senior engineers that have more, more theoretical basis. This is like a whole new model of development. They could design these new protocols and just deploy it like tick tick and in a few minutes we're live. You don't have to sit in R&D it and wait for a chain to adopt it. And right now, like when interchain accounts is going out, it took it like a long time to develop it. It took it three months, it's rolled out slowly over multiple chains now, interchain accounts, and most of them have the host mode. They don't have a controller yet, so they can't call it. So everyone's able to receive the messages, call it. It could take a few more months to finish and deploy the controller side. It's like months and months. With IBC, like I'll do it tomorrow. I'm doing a workshop here at, well, it's two months, weeks later from this, but at Hackathon Soul, I'm doing a workshop on building IBC contracts. And we deploy two contracts that allow you to do interchain account calls uh, from one chain to another chain, just like that. And we'll deploy the contract to two chains. They don't have to have any code, no Go code. We can write the code, we'll deploy it, we can test it and it just works. So you can develop new ideas and roll them out. Uh, you can write them in a, in a matter of a week, roll them out in minutes, and you have new IBC protocols. And um, that only works if you have two IBC chains actually matter, uh, Cosmosm chains that want to talk to each other. So when you have like three chains, it's not so interesting. When you have 20 chains, that's all these different connections. If any of those connections are different, it's cool. You're like, oh, I can put one on Juno and on Stargaze to move my NFT from Stargaze to Juno. I can hmm. another one for my DAO and Juno that mint my Stargaze token to own that one and then pull it back over here. I can have another one for a for something in Juno to manage as treasury swapping osmosis now, right? Um, I can have another one um, that talks ICA to talk to the, the backwards compatible ICA, interchain accounts, to talk to the hub to stake in the hub, right? I can have another contracts developing any other sort of concept you have. Um, I was talking to Croncat people. And the Croncat people is basically doing, you say, I want to run this job in five days or at this date and it will run the job for you, right? So this thing, and they want to go cross chain. So they'll have like the, you know, triggering the jobs on one chain, another chain. So they kind of um, are, are talking about cross chain cron jobs. Cron jobs are like scheduling jobs. The problem with here is contracts, I have to do something and it happens then. But I can't say, oh, a year later, come back to me or every week check up on balance, right? Well, what is a job? Um, so this is like an idea from uh, programming basically or running systems that you tell the computer, oh, um, every hour check this value. Right, you just tell it, and it runs, and it'll be running the background all the time. Uh, most web servers, most things out there are doing this all the time. If, comp- if something crashes, something checks, it happens, and it does something else. So it's just doing little tasks all the time. So you only change things now by doing a transaction on blockchain. So Croncat is basically saying that say, hey, just call a transaction or send a message um, every two hours, so I can check my state and I can rebalance stuff. Like, let me check the new price here, right, um, on chain, um, and they're talking about doing that cross chain. Mm-hmm. And so that's a whole different protocol. They build like calling stuff cross chain. They'll just build something out. So I think there's all kinds of ideas you haven't imagined yet. So we're building basically the simplest pieces here. And we think of, hey, we can compose this project on chain A and this on chain B. Let's look at all the amazing cosmos and projects out there. And this project is here and this project is another chain. Let's connect them somehow. Yeah. That's the best way of connecting them. So we just start designing new connections between these chains and deploying it. And new, anyone can do that, right? Even the people, if, if I see... There's GenoSwap and Osmosis um, Dex, and they're both Cosmosm, and I want to write something to arbitrage between them, and it will like basically be able to move them back and forth and balance between them, um, and maybe I can write a contract that does that, that you can just ping, and you can put money in a vault, it will balance between them, mm-hmm. and look for arbitrage opportunities as a contract, and anyone can lock money in that contract, and then this will automatically do it. Like White Whale did something like that in Terra, and you know they want to come to Interchain World, 
they want to work on this and they'll work on the arbitrage thing, they'll work cross chain. Like, why not? They make their own custom protocol to balance between it. Um, I think it's, uh, I think there's a whole lot go that can go on, right? And people just start dreaming about this stuff and understanding that the way they are used to composing stuff, like connecting contracts in Ethereum, we can do on chain cosmosm. Finally. More securely already. And now we can do interchain, right? Yes. Like, so that same concept now is oh, wait, we can do that on, on a cosmos chain. It's awesome. We can do that over five cosmos chains connect to each other. Like, that's mind blowing. We haven't that figured is. out yet. We've not figured it out yet. But like, I'm trying to get about thinking about this and really envisioning it. And I'm here to bring out the tools and the trainings to teach people how to do it as some inspiration of examples. And then I'm sure like once you have five teams doing oh, this man. stuff, looking at this stuff, they say, hey, we, just, we can just, you know, plug this into these projects permissionlessly, add this feature to these two chains to connect these two projects that don't even know of each other, but like to leverage them. And we can be the middleman and make a little cut somehow or some profit by connecting these two things. You know, after all this infrastructure is built, we're uh, gonna, we've already reached escape velocity in Cosmos, Definitely. but we're gonna reach singularity <laughs> at that point. So, so I wanna talk about Web3 applications because yeah. when you said you get scheduled jobs, you know, at whatever yeah. point in time you want, um, I immediately think, okay, well, I think DeFi is cool and all, but as a space, we've, I think we've really, really um, explored a lot of what's possible with DeFi already. And, mm -hmm. and, and so much of the mindshare in this industry has focused on DeFi just because yeah, there's yeah. like a profit incentive for it, um, for the builders and for the users. But what's less built out still and really early is, is Web3 applications. And obviously what I mean by that is like, okay, at what point can we have, can you like call an Uber and have the blockchain be totally. powering that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's probably like still ten years, ten years I out. I don't know. I think maybe you know, it's me more too. accelerated than that. I think it's closer. Can we do? We're getting two? closer. <laughs> I think you can't do everything on chain. We can do important stuff on chain, right? Um, actually, at T grade, uh, we launched that a month ago. Also, another project. <laughs> um, there's uh, T grade finance is trying to work build world applications, and one of the projects they're incubating is basically replacing delivery hero with on chain. So. Um, if you pay a payment, like so, you know, you pay a company, like the restaurant, they give a cut to deliver, right? And so Delivery yeah. Hero is basically taking the money from the restaurants and uh, paying as little as they can to the, the, the um, deliverers and cutting them out, right? So have an on-chain thing where the restaurant just puts money out as they escrow the money that paid for the job on there. And when there's proof that it was delivered, like GPS proof, they're like, okay, then it's recovered by this person. And different deliverers mm. can have reputations based on how many jobs they've successfully done, how many yeah. have been late, how many they never showed up, right? Um, and their reputation, so you have a reputation whether they get jobs based on their reputation. Um, as long as mm. the money is there, the reputation is on chain, and you basically have a little proof thing. As soon as you can yeah. figure out that that basically proof of delivery and maybe proof um, a proof of delivery, right? That is, uh, you know, you can use some web two, a few pieces of web two stuff yeah. to do this proof thing, a GPS check on a few places, um, and then. Yeah, you have it there. There's okay. ways of doing this. Um, right, so we would need validators to run GPS systems or like use foam no, or something? You can use encryption. There are ways of doing this stuff. I mean, like, um, they've, I haven't, I'm not working this project. I just know the project exists. And I think, like, the concept for me is on chain, you actually have the people's history of delivery mm -hmm. is there. The payments are the on chain escrow to guarantee you paid if they deliver the thing, right? Um, and they're directing not to get paid if they don't deliver the thing, mm -hmm. right? If they don't deliver, they lose reputation, they get less jobs, right? And so it's expensive for them. They didn't get punished, but they lose future jobs by not delivering. And there's a cost to making a new account. So yeah. like you can make these things and it's basically a self-maintaining group of deliverers that are reliable getting the money without a middleman from the restaurants, right? right. So you can make that system. Um, and then the one thing you need is a lot of things require these complex identity concepts. And what this all requires basically is some proof they've been there. So these things like encrypted beacons, so maybe the person delivering it has an encoded, uh, you know, does some encoded message, a signature on there, right? When you, when you order some meal and the restaurant has another one. And so when you pick it up, you basically get just sign some little token that the deliverer and the messenger at mm. the, the restaurant yeah. have both from the same location. So they sign off of Bluetooth, they've been there. Right. And then when you deliver it, they have a little message signed as you do a Bluetooth tap, ding, yep. between the recipient and the, uh, the deliverer. So basically you have a message saying, yeah. I've seen you, I've seen you, yep. right? And so we have a proof that you've picked it up and you haven't delivered it, well then you stole the food, right? And if you never picked it up, then well, you never showed up, right? So, um, and, yeah, and so 
you could use that. And they did a lot of this stuff for um, COVID tracing, especially like in Germany, they had a lot of apps mm -hmm. that were anonymous and encrypted beacons. And they basically, they would store information. So if someone had COVID, they mentioned that thing and it would go out, um, kind of it would inform people in anonymous ways. It was like not collecting data centrally, but it was using basically encrypted beacons between tokens. Mm -hmm. And they're tracking like who was near who based on encrypted beacons and didn't have a database on it. Right. And it was not forgeable. So it's kind of interesting they did that stuff. And it is privacy preserving even. Yeah. It was like off chain right. and it was not even a central database, it was like distributed. And so um, I haven't looked in that design of it, but I know like the, the privacy experts in Germany has lots of computer scientists take privacy very, very seriously. And they said, yes, it's safe. It's not leaking private information, yeah. right? So they have these systems that have been built. So I think we could actually like, you know, yeah. um, leverage that. So, I mean, I just think the idea of putting the critical stuff like reputation and, you know, the, what you've done and the money transfers on chain. Yep. And then you can have just a few off-chain yes. things and apps that are secure using cryptography. And, and that's, that's Web3. Web3. It doesn't have to be all in the blockchain. Right, absolutely. It just, you know, has to be centralized. This lends itself to this parallel economy where we're basically able to achieve um, and offer the same services that people are used to in the meat space and totally. Web2 world um, without sacrificing KYC, without sacrificing their data or becoming the products themselves or whatever. Um, you know, giving up their location data, history, and all of that to a company like Uber or Uber Eats or Amazon, you know, what, whatever, what, whatever tech oligarchy you want to think of. Uh, and, and basically, you're able to, again, you know, have all the services um, without going through a bank and paying um, vendors directly using your crypto. So you don't, A, you don't need a bank. You don't need to log in with email, sign up with your phone number, any of that and you still get food delivered to your door. Mm -hmm. Cool stuff. I mean, I'm not so problematic with signing for a bank. It's its own thing. It's, it works. It does its thing. Um, internationally, it's kind of annoying sometimes. Transfers, it's better crypto. But the big thing I'm worried about is tech oligarchies. Governments and tech oligarchies, they're basically collecting data everywhere, and they control everyone. And so if the only way you can find information is you go to Twitter, then Twitter actually controls what you see. And Twitter controls everything. And so you want these centralized stuff, and Desmos does that, doing that. So like, when you realize that Uber actually controls both sides. It controls what people pay and what the drivers earn. Yep. And if it's a monopoly, it just abuses that. Yeah, and then it and, takes and it whatever. Can, like, charge you more it takes and pay them less. Yeah. And it can just push both sides. Oh, yeah. It knows who's available. It knows all the information. No one else has. It has asymmetry of information. It can abuse everyone. Yeah. Right? And so um, that's what they're doing. That's how they maximize profit. They have more data than anyone else does about what's going on. Yep. And they abuse that data or ex use that, not abuse it. They use that data to extract maximum value for them yeah. as intermediaries. And they're basically the intermediary looking to squeeze both sides. Yeah. Amazon's doing it for both the buyers and for the sellers. Yeah. And they're basically trying to squeeze everyone, right? Like, so, and how much, what cuts does Amazon get? It's not visible. No one knows what Amazon's yeah. taking, right? Mm -hmm. It's not published. It's kind of private. So I think uh, once these places have kind of monopolies, it's abuse of monopoly in the region. So um, for me, it's not so much, okay, I avoid all, all government thing. I really want to say, I want to avoid these monopolies. And having these decentralized platforms says, okay, it's not just yet another monopoly. It's a, it's a, and, who controls it? Is it just some private board of directors or shareholders that are not completely non-transparent? No. Who controls these new things is DAOs. And the DAO DAO will do it. And this is like the problem we have these, the reason I think these don't exist is one, technology is a little slow. But second of all, if you've done them before, you have a multi-sig holding it, which is still non-transparent governance. And you really need really powerful DAO software as governance of these new protocols to make them really centralized. I understand that these important DAO DAO sub DAOs are yeah. basically on Juno, right? So does that mean that they are um, privy to the governance of Juno you know, or can they run independently of that? That's a good question. So um, in the end, the Juno validators can do what they want. They can hard fork it. They can change the code of the contracts. Yeah. They can do anything they want, right? So they can basically override that DAO and if they don't like that thing, they can destroy it. They delete the contract if they want to do anything. So at the end, they can hard fork that chain and do anything they want in the chain. So that DAO can never get larger than the governance running on. So it's running on the baseline of Juno. Um, the point is DAO DAO software run any chain. They're really right. Juno group. They're basing on Juno, but they're also looking to launch them on, on some DAOs osmosis. I think the uh, Iron right. DAO is using DAO DAO software also, right? And so it will extend. It's basically incubated there. Um, and you can, you can, once you got used to it, using it, and like, you know, the best support will be this community that build it, but people can just copy that code, bring it elsewhere. And if you want to, you run your own chain, you organize your own validators, and then you launch your DAO there. Right, and or then you it's your DAO, like, yeah. like L1. Totally.
I want to run osmosis. I want to run it on the on T grade because I'm you know aligned with that that vision. Or I want to run Stargate, it's an NFT project. And I want to be tied to this, and so I can run it locally here. Um, or you can run Juno, or you can and basically pick out the next uh, you know most stable uh, chain you think of uh, and just launch it there. Yep, got it. Okay, so um, last last stuff we've been running for quite a while. This is such an interesting interesting conversation. Thank you, Ethan. So um, uh, last stuff is housekeeping information so you know if somebody got the the wind airdrop how are they supposed to claim it where, you know where do they go when when did they get it you know how do they stake it stuff like that cool so um i'll go all this so wind w-y-n-d has been live we started airdrop end of may it runs until august 31st that means you have about a month to claim um, everyone that was staking Juno Osmo region has some. Every validator on those networks has a lot more. We actually get the validators quite a bit there. If they want to claim them, check with your val upper key. Um, you can go to airdrop.winddao.com, W-Y-N-D-D-A-O.com. Uh, you can go to docs.winddao.com to find out more or check it out on Twitter or Medium. We have a few posts on Medium and more on Twitter. Um, for Cosmosm stuff, we have the academy.cosmosm.com, which is going live, uh, yeah, beginning of August now, end of July. Um, it is also, we have book.cosmosm.com, which is uh, still in progress, but like probably right now the best introduction of Rust programming and Cosmosm programming. Check it out. It's part of the Academy, but it's like, you don't have to sign up for the Academy. It's just a text documentation. I think it's very, very solid. And the Academy is full on videos, tutorials, and walking through lots of kind of code. So check out academy.cosmosm.com and book.cosmosm.com. We'll have more sites there linked from there explaining more documentation. Um, that's for Cosmosm. IBC, we'll have IBC contracts. Um, you check out its uh, IBC demo contract under Confio. You have to look under github.com Confio. There'll be an IBC demo contract. Um, this is going under uh, rapid innovation right now and will also be linked to from the Academy later on. And that's the best place to learn about that. And I'll be publishing my workshop at um, Hackathon Seoul. I'm doing a workshop on how to build IBC enabled contracts if you want to build that. And I'll be publishing that workshop and hopefully more videos eventually on the Academy and uh, yeah, link to from there. Well, thank you so much, Ethan. This has been s such an awesome conversation. I love talking to you. It's, it's always interesting and I always learn something new. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's wonderful being on the show. Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one hour long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live streamed episode.